Hello, hello. My name is April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today I have Yaffe Lavova with me. Did I say it right, Yaffe? You did. Thanks. Yay. Thank you for coming. Yaffe is a local mom to me, and we met in a mom's group. And uh, it sounds like she has a really interesting work from home journey. I know that you're doing a little bit of two things. You're working from home and in a hospital. Can you tell everyone what you do? Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me, April. I'm really excited to be on the podcast. So I am a registered dietitian nutritionist. And as we discussed um, prior to starting recording, that's the same thing as a registered dietitian. It's our attempt to take back the word nutritionist because it's a bit of a contentious point since there's a huge difference between registered dietitians and nutritionists. Mm-hmm. Well, I do work in a hospital. I work in a clinical setting one or two times a week. I have a PRN position, which just means that I'm effectively a substitute teacher and I fill in for the other <laughs> dietitians who are out on vacation or maternity leave or whatever. And I also have my business from home. Tell us what you do from home. Well, I am also a registered dietitian, but maybe a little bit more of a crazy one because my kids have been home for 18 months. Um, <laughs> but I... I have a small amount of my practice is counseling people one-on-one. It's not my huge focus. I really like to focus on public speaking and writing. I did publish a number of books, mostly written in 2020 when I just turned to writing as a stress relief. And now all of a sudden everything's coming out at the same time. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you've got more than one book coming out? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, (laughs) my first book came out on uh, December of 2019 and my eighth book will be coming out September of this year. (laughs) What? Okay. So are they all different? They, they are different for the most part. I have two different books on baby food introduction, but one takes a baby led weaning approach and one takes a puree approach. Both of those philosophies are philosophies that are safe, appropriate, and I believe in both of them and people can also do a combination. So yeah. What does PRA stand for? Sorry, what was that? What does PRA stand for? PRA? You said there's a baby led weaning. Oh, did I mishear you? Puree. Sorry. Puree. Puree. Baby led weaning and then the puree method. Yeah. (laughs) So like the, the jarred baby food type. Yeah. And that one has some recipes in case people want to make baby food at home. It is also perfectly fine to buy your baby food pre-made in case you want to buy, in case you want to make it from home. There are recipes in that book. I feel like we definitely did both. Um, And especially as the years progressed, you know, we had our, our first kid was, you know, 10 and a half years ago, we started actually, I just saw on Facebook, my memories came by, you know, her six month anniversary, you know, we didn't do any food before six months. And so we celebrated with, you know, giving them their first food. Um, But yeah, uh, her, her journey of eating was very different from our son. (laughs) She was very uh, interested in just nursing. Um, And then our next kid came out and he wanted to eat. And at that point I had learned about baby led weaning, but I feel like I was maybe a little bit too gung ho on aspects of it and still needed to actually like wait for his readiness in some areas. So yeah, you learn a lot. And then the third came along the third kid, I feel like had a totally different experience and probably the most appropriate of all of them. Yeah. And you know what? All of their experiences were appropriate. It's just, it's amazing how different kids are and how different their personalities, their preferences, their eating styles, their interest in food, everything's different. And so it's, it's best to take a, an approach that accounts for what makes you comfortable as well as what's working for the child. And that's why I have the two different books out, one on one approach and one on the other, because the truth is that there, there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to feeding babies. And part of it is just that we have been raised in a society that treats, that teaches us to not trust our bodies. And so if we can't trust our own bodies, how are we going to trust the bodies of people who came out of our bodies? You know, that's like another degree of trust. And if you can't trust the first degree, how are you going to trust your child's body to tell them what they need and how much they need and when they're done? So, you know what, it's baby led weaning is fantastic for teaching kids independence and puree is fantastic for getting that that, that one-on-one attention between the adult and the child. And each of them have unique benefits as far as oromuscular formation. You know, we're forming these, these muscles in our mouths and, and this is a really important point because a lot of people think, you know, food before one is just for fun. It's not just for fun. It's not for nutrition, but it's not just for fun. 
it's really important to develop those, those muscles in the mouth because that's going to be needed not only for feeding, but for speech and, you know, just, just for getting through life. Um, and, and so it's really important to get that exposure to different textures for practice manipulating them and, and exposure to different tastes so that everything is a little bit more familiar when they get older and go through that picky phase that's so natural that all kids go through. This is really fascinating. What got you originally interested in nutrition and diet? I've always been interested in nutrition and diet. Um, I started doing ballet when I was three and, you know, being, being in a hobby that is so body focused, it's natural to be nutrition focused. And that goes in a very bad way for a lot of dancers. And that's why I'm, I'm thankful that I, well, I wasn't good enough to, <laughs> I wasn't good enough to have that pressure on me from other adults and from teachers and from other students. And, and I am thankful for that, that I didn't have to battle that. But I did have that interest in the body and how it works and how you can, um, how you can treat it well. And so I've taken it this direction and it, it's been great. It's, there, there's so many aspects of nutrition and it's constantly evolving. It's fascinating to stay on top of it. So are most of your clients that you work with um, babies or parents of babies? Most of them are, well, parents because it's, it's really touchy talking to kids directly. I mean, especially a six month old who generally is not great at answering questions. But, but even as they get older, even when you get into um, the clients who come to me for, for selective eating or picky eating, their kids are old enough that I could talk to them, but it's not good practice to speak directly to a child as a dietitian because okay. it's much better to support the parent. You know, much like a doula supports a, a woman giving birth and supports the couple and, um, and, and is there not to support directly, but to support in the background, to help, to help things come about naturally with the parents and how they want it to happen. You know, like it's similar to that, that I support the parents in establishing a healthy relationship with their kids at the table and to guiding their kids to forming a healthy relationship with food. It's much more important that that message comes from a parent rather than comes from someone who the child isn't familiar with, you know, like me. See, I thought it was going to go a different way because sometimes I feel like my kids listen better to someone who's not me. It really depends on the child. And also your kids are a little bit older. And, you know, the, I have spoken with a child directly, but she was 12. Mm -hmm. And that for me was a big thing to make that decision to counsel her directly at the mother's request. But it was also what the concern was. You know, this child was not concerned about her body shape and gaining weight and all of that, which I definitely would not. Uh, would not approach the same way. This That situation was more of a direct medical situation that needed nutrition intervention, and it was very clear-cut. You know, it's, it's very difficult to talk to kids about nutrition, and it's difficult to do it the right way. Okay. And a lot of times, people who have access to kids, such as teachers and even pediatricians, don't necessarily approach that conversation in a way that's healthy for that child's development, mm -hmm. and it can really lead to uh, to, to food obsession. And it, it doesn't go anywhere good from that. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that you've got the two uh, infant books or books directed towards parents of infants. What are your other books? So the, the book that's focused on baby led weaning or baby led feeding, which are two ways to call the same thing is stage by stage baby food cookbook. And the, um, the next one that came out that's the puree focus is nourishing baby food cookbook. And then I have some other ones that we talked about before we got on today. Um, I'm very excited that Beyond a Bite is coming out again. Um, I released the first edition January of 2020. And that's, it's, it's a very short book on Amazon, just about um, food games you can play with your neurotypical child at the table. And I got it in my head. We needed to rewrite it for the neurodiverse population. So that is currently out in the professional version, which I can show you right here. Very Ooh. exciting. So this is, this is Beyond a Bite for the Professional. And this is Practical Approaches to Sensory and Feeding Challenges with Autism Spectrum Disorder and Neurodivergent Clients. That's a big book. Professional books have a ton 
of words in the titles. I mean, like that's, that's intense, right? <laughs> so this is meant for dietitians and for um, speech therapists and feeding ther other occupational ther therapists who are feeding therapists. And the, the, that is coming out as a parent edition, which is, it's shorter. <laughs> and the title is also shorter, thank God. Um, but it's also going to be Beyond a Bite. And that's going to come out hopefully within a month or so. And that'll be the parent version of this the parents can have in the home um, to play games and interact positively with food with their child who is neurodiverse. What about the parents who are like, I want the professional version? You know what? It's really challenging to give them the professional version. And the truth is that the professional version, um, I mean, there's the major price point here. It's $140. That'll so probably, yeah. They're not going to do that. But for for professionals, I mean, for me, it would be 16 continuing education units. So it's worth it to me for that price. It's wow. not going to be worth it to your average parent. Um, and honestly, it's much better for the professional to have the professional version because they can use what's in the text paired with their education and clinical experience in order to decide which direct approach to take with the family and with the child. So it's very important to have that background and that knowledge in order to use the knowledge to, to their best ability. In an ideal circumstance, the parents would be in feeding therapy and they have the parent edition at home and the professional has the professional edition and they work together on that, determining how they should go with that resource at home. So I think that's four books and you said you have four more? Yes. Okay. So Discover Mindful Eating for Kids was my first book that I, I was a contributing author for the second edition with Migret Fletcher. And that one's also meant for a professional and Beyond a Bite actually came out of that. So that one is, is also meant for a professional. And then um, let's see, where are we in the timeline? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, Discover Mindful Eating for Kids, Beyond a Bite, the first one, Beyond a Bite, the second one, and the third one, which are neurodiverse, Nourishing Baby Food Cookbook, and um, and Kid Food, oh, Fun with Food, okay, so. The games? Fun with Food, Baby Food, Toddler Food Cookbook and Activity Book, and that one was really my baby. That came out of Toddler Test Kitchen, which is my, my in-person cooking class for kids ages two through six. And um, so that one is full of games and activities similar to Beyond a Bite, but a little bit more intense. And I, I pulled a lot of information from my friend and colleague, Danny Leibovitz, who writes a lot of books herself on fantastic, you know, introduction to food for kids. Where do bananas come from? Where does broccoli come from? It's all done in an extremely positive way, which is so important for kids. They don't need to know always, sometimes, never foods. They don't need to know moderation. Kids don't have, they, they don't have the ability to really understand these nuanced concepts. Their prefrontal cortex is the area of the brain right behind the forehead here. It's not developed until they're 23 to 25 years old. And that's where we get our reasoning. So teaching kids these, these concepts of of, um, of always, sometimes, never in moderation, they, they're really just going to parrot it back. They're not going to understand it because it's not developmentally appropriate to expect them to understand those concepts. So that's why we keep things very positive. So her books are very positive. My books are very positive. I always mention her books in my books <laughs> because there, we need lots of resources for how to talk to kids in a positive way, you know, and that's, that's what we're both going for with that. So that's number, that's seven books so far. So the eighth book is Kid Chef Junior Everyday Recipes. And that's a cookbook for kids who are, I'll say four years old and up, but it's specifically geared towards new readers, you know, the six, seven-year-old range so that they can look at the recipe and just do it all on their own. Mm -hmm. And the, um, the Fun with Food Kids Cookbook before, um, that one actually starts at 12 months. So if you are interested in cooking with your 12-month-old, that's, that's a good resource to start. You mentioned an in-person class. Was that happening at the hospital, in your home, or at what point did you do that? So Toddler Test Kitchen is about six years old. It is now aging out of itself um, because it's the classes from two to six. So 
Um, I currently, well, currently, I have been teaching at the Farm South Mountain and at Vertuccio Farms. And it's super fun. Of course, I've been off for the past year because of the pandemic. I do plan to start up again in the fall. And if you're on my newsletter or follow me really anywhere, I'm sure I'm going to post all about it. I, I miss it. I mean, mm -hmm. me and 15 to 18 small children and their parents just exploring food. Introducing a small child to baby corn is like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Showing them spaghetti squash and they, they, they rip it apart themselves, mm -hmm. shred the spaghetti squash. It's fantastic. It's just so much fun to watch. That does sound really cool. Now, so we are uh, local to each other here in Arizona, but I'm not familiar with either of those um, places you mentioned. Do they have a big kitchen or how do you, is it just a big conference room or what are you using? We are actually on picnic tables. So the class is, um, the class is vegan or vegan friendly. I like to do that because a lot of kids have just food issues. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's allergies, sometimes it's ethical or religious. And I feel like having a vegan based class is a catch all for that. Mm -hmm. So we do it on, um, we do the vegan ingredients on picnic tables and um, it's very rustic. I mean, it's fun that way though. And we're outside and that's why I don't teach during the summer because mm -hmm. Right now, we seem to be having a cold snap. It's only supposed to be 106 today. Wow, it's crazy. <laughs> Great to get out the sweaters. That's why I'm wearing my sweater here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we have fun with it. You know, outside, it's beautiful in the fall and in the winter. You know how it is in Arizona. Mm -hmm. you know, I saw this meme. If you can't take it at 115, you don't deserve it at 78. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> true you know so anyway so those venues are um those are fun venues so Vertuccio Farms is more about fun and they have a lot of kids play area over there um there, there's things to jump on there's a train to ride and they have farm equipment uh that's that's kind of repurposed for climbing and they they do a lot of fun stuff there and the Farm South Mountain is a little bit more upscale. They do weddings there, but they do a lot of classes as well. They do farmers markets. Those are both fun locations. I feel like I've possibly been to the second one. Is it closer to Phoenix? Yeah, that's in uh, near South Mountain. Okay. Yeah, I think I actually, um, when I was hosting VIP kid meetings for uh, ESL teachers, uh, I think we had one there. I didn't host that one, but it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So outdoors and you're basically doing the vegan because then everyone should have something that they can be comfortable with. And it's not necessarily for only vegans, but it's just for every, it's safe for everybody. Yeah. It's really just about safety and comfort. And I, I really make a big push to, to welcome kids who have food allergy issues. And I just say, if, if the parents can tell me a week in advance, what those food allergies are, I will either shift the entire recipe or I will bring substitute ingredients. One time we did, um, we did sesame miso ramen, which was fun, but I had a child who was allergic to soy and, mm. and um, miso is a soy based paste made from soy. So I went out and got some chickpea miso paste and it was fine. But I just find that a lot of kids cooking classes are very centered on, on cookies and cakes. And part mm -hmm. of that is because of cost, because it's much more expensive to run a Southwestern spaghetti squash recipe than it is to get a few boxes of Duncan Hines for a, a dollar each. I think it really comes down to that. There's also a lot of control that you have when you have a boxed mix and, uh, and you don't have to measure each individual ingredient. It's, and it's a lot easier to, to do something. Kids are generally familiar with that, but I like to break out of the box and I like to make it more welcoming for kids who have different food issues. And Duncan Hines mix is just not gonna do it for the child who can't have gluten or can't have soy or can't yeah. have corn. You know, these things are in everything. We've definitely uh, done a huge diet change in the past year. We discovered that one of our children and probably we've only tested one of them. So it's probably affecting more than one, um, but there's a gluten sensitivity. Um, we do have some celiac that runs in our family. So it's, you know, getting to be pretty serious. And so we've, you know, made some big adjustments. And with that, as a bonus, uh, have come some really nice behavioral changes so not only did we change the diet, but we've noticed like 
and it could have been a multiple, um, multiple factors working together with the pandemic starting at that same time. Um, but we've just had a much more pleasant environment around this house. Um, you know, I think that there, when someone is sensitive to food, it doesn't always come out as like rashes or, you know, the anaphylactic reaction. Um, we had behavioral reactions and, you know, we've learned over the years, certain things to be careful about, but it's kind of cool in that when we did cut out gluten for the most part, um, they had, a bigger sensitivity to corn. And I feel like corn now isn't as triggering as it had been in the past. So, um, yeah, we've been on a little bit of a journey. So this is all really interesting to me personally. Um, but keep talking. I want to hear about at what point did you start working more from home or have you always tried to be working from home? I, I was working as a clinical dietitian before I got pregnant and it was a really long journey to get pregnant. And honestly, I didn't see myself becoming a registered dietitian. I didn't see myself finishing this process. It's a really intense process. It's um, for a four-year degree or sometimes a master's. Uh, now they're starting to require a master's and then a, um, an internship, which is basically a residency program and it's extremely competitive to get into them and they're pretty expensive. And then follow that by a national exam. It's an intense process. And the whole time I was in school, I was trying to get pregnant and it wasn't happening. And I just mm-hmm. figured, well, I'm enjoying these classes, but I'm going to get pregnant and then I'm going to stay home. And that's why I chose nutrition because it's got so many different options. You can do a lot of different things with a nutrition degree. So even if I wasn't going to finish it, it would be good knowledge, you know? So I, I kept going to school and I kept not getting pregnant and I got an internship and I was not pregnant and I passed the exam and I was not pregnant and and that was really painful, but now looking back on it, I can really appreciate what that journey did for me. I mean, I wouldn't, I, would, <laughs> I can only say that from my perspective on my journey. You know, you can never say that about someone else. You can never say, well, there's a purpose for this because sometimes it's just too painful to hear that, you know, but looking back on my own journey, I can see where the pieces fit together from this perspective. So, so finally I convinced my husband that we needed to go to specialists, which we did, and had some some therapies done, um, and ended up with twins. <laughs> oh, how of old course. are they? Yeah, surprise! <laughs> and then, um, and then a really surprise bonus round. So now there are three boys. But, but the whole time, my goal was to get pregnant. It wasn't to finish the degree. It wasn't to work from home. Uh, but. Once I got pregnant, I was about to have the kids and I, I retired from clinical work, so to speak. I mean, now I'm back, <laughs> but I, I, got, I went home and at that point, my focus was really, you know, just having the kids and I wasn't thinking about where I was going to take my degree at that moment. I was just planning to ride the waves and there were a lot of waves to ride. I mean, infertility and then a high risk pregnancy. We had tongue ties, lip ties allergies, breastfeeding issues, feeding issues, sleeping issues, adenoids and tonsils and all this stuff. And one day when my twins were six months old, I said, wow, I, this, was a, this has been a rough ride. I can probably help other people not have such a rough ride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I like to say that I try to help parents slide into parenthood more gracefully than I did. <laughs> I like it that. Was a rough ride. <laughs> and that's and that's how I got into this and from this point it's always been from home because I realized quickly that um, at first I was focused on counseling and I couldn't get out of the house and neither could my clients you know if I've got six-month-old twins at home and my clients got a three-month-old how are we gonna meet so we're just gonna do it on the phone and so when 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 the pandemic rolled around I was already set up to be from home um, it got a little more intense because my husband took over the office since all of a sudden he was home too. I hear you. This happened for us. <laughs> it happened for a lot of people. Yeah, but that's that's how I got into this. And uh, and some some writing opportunities came my way. And and especially with 2020, I just was saying yes to every cool opportunity. And I feel like it's gotten me pretty far. I just ditched the idea of a business plan. I understand that is not smart for probably most people, and it is probably not smart for me long-term either, but short-term when everything's up in the air and I have some fun opportunities flying at me, why not just say yes to everything and see what sticks? 
How old are your kids right now? The the twins are going to be eight next month and little guy is four. So they're they're than they were. They're not six months anymore. No. (laughs) Thank God they grew. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm starting to feel like I'm entering into this new era of my life. You know, you over the years you always hear about the the moms who basically stop working, you know, while their children are home. Um, but once they get to school age, that's when they re-enter the workforce. Now I've been working all this time. Like I've, I've worked through my children's entire life, um, but always from home. And um, even, even though I've been working this whole time, I've been working at nights and weird hours. And like, we were talking about, you know, having a difficult time sleeping sometimes. I'd be rolling around with just two hours of sleep under my belt, you know, half the time. And now I feel like, oh my goodness, my kids are going to all three be in school. Now my daughter was supposed to be in kindergarten last year and then that didn't happen. (laughs) So she's going to be entering first grade basically for her first, you know, full school experience. She did a little preschool, um, but I'm like, oh my goodness, maybe I can, you know, sleep like a normal person again. Like I haven't done that in 13 years. Yeah. And in work in the daytime at the same time as my husband. So I'm not always having to tag team with him and never actually get to be with the family when they're all having family time. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I always said, you know, you know, you're the best parent before you have kids, of course. Of course. That I wouldn't be the the couple that switches off. You want to spend time together. Mm -hmm. I did not understand the cost of babysitting when I said Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we do a lot of switching off, but that's, I think that's the nature of marriage. It's the nature of having young kids. And it's also the nature of both parents being stuck at home working during a pandemic. I like your little saying about you're the best parent before you have kids. I, I used to babysit and I'd nanny and, oh, I had lots of opinions about how I was going to do things when I, you know, grew up and got married and had my own kids and all these things. And apparently some of these people told my mom, oh, April sure has some idealistic ideas about, you know, what her family life is going to be like in the future. And not just with them, but everybody, my mom, I have eaten my words so many times, you know, I did my master's degree papers were about like the negative, um, detrimental effects of screen time on children. Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) I was able to maintain, you know, like no screens for my two-year-old, um, my firstborn. And by the time she turned two, I'm like, ooh, you know, maybe we'll do some screens now. And my husband is like, she has totally had screens. You just didn't know. Uh... And, and, but at the same time, when she turned two, our baby was turning six months old and they just watched TV together. And yeah, by the time our third kid came around, she could totally like program the DVD player or whatever. <laughs> I mean, like... Yeah. Yeah, we've, we've got that too, for sure. You know, like the AAP recommends no added sugar in the first two years. And we have a joke among pediatric dietitians that it's, um, that only applies to the first child. (laughs) (laughs) Because the thing is, you've got these, these warring ideas, you know, like, do they need sugar? No, no, they don't need sugar. But if they're seeing their sibling have sugar and you tell them no, that's detrimental to their relationship. Mm-hmm. There's sibling jealousy there. There's, mm-hmm. They're more likely to show food-seeking issues later on because you yeah. said no. Like, mm-hmm. yes, okay, so we're battling the physical. This is like, like the argument between vitamin D and skin cancer. You know, you cannot win that argument. Both sides right. are right. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, yeah. yes, you do need vitamin D for a lot of reasons. But yes, you should also not get skin cancer. I feel like all of us are trying to do the best we have or the best we can with what we have. Um, Though a lot of us that are not only parenting, but also working um, and, you know, meeting the needs of our clients in addition to the needs of our children, there's something's got to give. Now, my mom was a stay-at-home mom for 10 years. No, not 10 years. My mom was a stay-at-home mom for like 30 years. Yeah, that's more accurate, actually. Um, she's still, you know, parenting and being a full-time mom and, and grandma now to, you know, the kids, but, you know, you've got time to do things and to be more, I guess, intentional about like making all of your food from scratch when you're not working a 40 hour work week 
And so I feel like, you know, kind of like you're saying the second kid, things might change. But when you're a working mom, you know, something's got to give. And sometimes you do make a sacrifice or a compromise. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and the thing is that sometimes we have to reframe those sacrifices because sacrifice makes you feel like I failed. I did not do what I wanted to do. And the thing is that, that maybe the initial goal was off base. Maybe the initial goal was too lofty. Maybe it was, it was just too much. Maybe it was based on misinformation. So for example, making baby food from home. Great. Go for it. But you should also know that the baby food that is at the store meets very strict safety requirements. It has a lot of variety as far as as fruits and vegetables. The thing is, there are certain ingredients that are repeated over and over again. So you have to be focused on on actually getting the variety. But if if a jar of baby food has four different fruits and vegetables in it, you could do that at home, but it's going to be more expensive. It's going to be more difficult. You're going to have to store it you know, looking at thinking of the food that comes pre-made as poison or junk or something that is subpar could really set you up for failure. You know, like what if you have this idea in your mind and then one day you're coming home from work or from a doctor's appointment or whatever, and there's traffic or, you know, there's an accident. It takes you forever to get home. And by the time you get home, the child is screaming and you don't have the food made. Like, it's okay to have these fallbacks. It's okay to have processed food as a fallback or even as just part of your life. That's okay. And when we, we start off with these crazy expectations of ourselves, we're not setting ourselves up for a win. We're not setting ourselves up to feel confident in our parenting. Right. Yeah. And the same thing I, I'm sure can be applied to, you know, the whole breastfeeding versus formula thing. You know, a lot of people start off with the plan to breastfeed. And I think that with a lot of support, that can be, you know, a great solution for most families. But then you've got, you know, for some reason, whatever reason, you know, that formula is another alternative option that, and and then not to mention the postpartum depression that many people struggle with. Don't put it on yourself that you have to do this thing. And if it's not working out the way you originally planned that you're a failure, yeah. give yourself grace and look, you've got more than one option here. Right. Yes. Give yourself grace, lean into what's working and try to work around what's not working. It's interesting that you bring up breastfeeding specifically. I did have a lot of postpartum depression, specifically anxiety. I had very mm-hmm. bad postpartum anxiety mm-hmm. and Once I got past the initial hurdles of breastfeeding with the appropriate help, that was the one thing that I felt like I was doing right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was something to lean into. But for someone else who who feels bad about themselves every time they put the baby to the breast, either because it's not working for physical reasons or whatever reasons, we need to look at parenting as a whole. You're not made or broken as a parent by any single decision. You're not made as a parent by having a, a vaginal birth versus C-section or mm-hmm. breastfeeding over formula or doing one method of feeding or another. It doesn't change who you are as a parent. A lot of these decisions are completely out of our hands and we yeah. need to show more compassion to ourselves and to each other. Yeah, I agree. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about your work from home situation. Now you had the the twins. And then a few, a couple years later, you had your third, your boy, mom, (laughs) I'm a boy, mom. (laughs) Um, How does that work? Do you have, uh, where do you work from? Well, right now we are in my bedroom. Um, (laughs) That was actually kind of a journey. That was a decision because I, I had my office and my husband took it over. And the truth is that there would be room for both of us, but Mm -hmm. It's quite a mess in there. <laughs> and I was working for most of the pandemic. I was working at the dining room table and I was going crazy, but I didn't want to move a desk into my room because you're not supposed to mix your energies. You know, you shouldn't have your workspace in the place where you're sleeping. And you know what? But we shouldn't have a pandemic. And so all of that goes out the window. <laughs> yep. When I finally moved this folding table into my bedroom in the corner and put my laptop on it and claimed it, you know, put my flag down, claimed it as my place. Mm-hmm. It was such a relief. I have a door I can close. Mm-hmm. There's a separation for me and the kitchen, for example. My kids are old enough that they can take care of themselves for an hour while I'm having a meeting in my bedroom. Yeah. You know, so that's okay. 
And I needed to just ignore this idea of mixing energies because what works for one person doesn't work for another. Maybe this is not a good idea for a lot of people, but for me, this is working out pretty nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, I haven't heard of the mixing energies. I'm not sure where that, where you heard that, but um, I do know that I have been a little bit nervous at times about working um, in my bedroom more for like privacy security reasons. Um, But it actually works out quite well for my husband because he's never on camera. So no one's going to see like me asleep on the bed, for instance. So it works out. Um, Are, are, can you talk a little bit about your workflow? Like, are you usually doing a Zoom or are you usually writing? Like, where is this usually happening? Well, I have this this writing method that I'm patenting. It's called working in the cracks. <laughs> I think a lot of parents are familiar with that. I, I'm very efficient at writing. I can write very quickly. So, so what I was doing is just every time I have a moment, just sitting down and writing. And that's not it's not the most efficient for a lot of people. I just found that I didn't have many other options, especially when my office was downstairs at the dining room table. Now mm-hmm. that I've moved my office and I have more dedicated space, I can sit and work for a chunk of time, which mm-hmm. is so much better. If I'm with a client, I'm probably on a Zoom. I love this face-to-face. It's great. I, I yeah. prefer that over just phone calls. Mm-hmm. And if I'm writing, it's just me with my window cracked open for some natural light and some mm-hmm. um, white noise in my ears sometimes. And I just sit down with my cup of tea and have at it. Tell me about your white noise solution. I, I might need more white noise in my life. Yeah, I really like the sounds of rain, which is great because it's raining right now here. So mm-hmm. that's, that's wonderful. It's unusual, that- by the way, for Arizona. We are in a drought. We were in a severe drought. And so this rain is really appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I'm planning to dance around in it later. (laughs) Definitely with the kids, you know, we should always look for opportunities to have fun with the kids, but um, yeah. So I have this app. I forgot what the app is called. My phone's downstairs, but I think it's just called like a white noise app and it's free. And I just put the sounds of rain in my ears and turn it up. So like, you know, and it helps me to focus. I really like that because the white noise that I, the solution that I have had is Um, Actually, this is more for my husband than it is for me, but right now I'm in my office closet and the door to my uh, left here is my, I'm pointing probably to my right on the camera, but it's my um, bathroom. And then there's another door that goes into our bedroom. Well, I was making a lot of noise when I was teaching English, you know, sometimes 10 hours overnight during my husband's sleeping hours and he'd have to get up and, you know, work as well. Um, singing heads and shoulders, knees and toes, and, you know, just like really obnoxious sounds. I even have this um, melodica thing. It's kind of like a musical instrument that you like play like a piano and a clarinet or a recorder at the same time is pretty obnoxious. Um, And I'm playing that, you know, all night. And he's like, "Um, I'm having a hard time sleeping. And, you know, and I I try to put a box fan in the room with him and he, he found that irritating. And he liked it best when we had the the exhaust fan running in our bathroom and we'd have both doors closed. And so it wasn't super uh, loud for either of us, but it just kind of gave a little bit of a sound barrier. But I find that sound really irritating. Like the sound of that fan is just, I think the natural sound like rain would be maybe something that I could handle longer. Yeah. I, I like that. Um, they're also ocean waves and I don't like the ocean waves because they come and go mm-hmm. and the rain is more of a consistent sound, mm-hmm. but everyone's got their thing, you know? Yeah. Like I hit, I do hear my kids, you know, when I'm working while they're awake and they're shrieking or yelling or fighting. And, uh, it is kind of nice having my husband in the bedroom office because he's like the first line of defense. <laughs> And they'll go bother him first. He's not forward fa- or camera facing as often as I am. Right. Uh, but we actually kind of have like a whole code with our kids. Like, okay, um, if mom and dad are going to be in meetings at the same time, you know, we'll always tell them which person that they could come to if they had an emergency. Um, mommy's going to be in a meeting, but it's an informal meeting. She's not recording a podcast. So come and talk to mom. Um, Or daddy is in a meeting, but he's just listening and he's not on, you know, microphone. So go ahead. If you have anything, you can whisper it to him. 
uh, sometimes that's when we break our screen time. It will be like, hey, kids, you know how you haven't watched TV for three weeks? Well, today you can. <laughs> and you can watch garbage. You can watch. And we actually have like this whole system of like level 10 education means like straight up documentary. Level nine is like our um, Octonauts and Wildcrafts and the cartoony like educational shows. And then they, they know, like they have a whole ranking system. They know what shows are level three. And so like, if we ever say that they may watch anything under level five, they're like glued to the TV for like three hours, whatever we need. Um, and we pull that out of our back pocket, like only like maybe once every two months. Cause when yeah. we do, then it really works. Right. What right. do you do? <laughs> much it doesn't work. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't bribe my kids with food. Um, I, I do sometimes with experiences, mm -hmm. you know, so, and here's the, here's the difference. I told them they were fighting a lot yesterday and that was really difficult for me. So I told them, if you can get along today during my meetings, then we're going to go out for Italian soda. Ooh. And we go to the coffee shop and they get to pick their flavor. And this is mm -hmm. fun. This is a new thing for us because I didn't realize we can, we keep kosher, so we can't eat everywhere. But a mm -hmm. lot of these coffee shops stock those syrups, the Tarani syrups, which are kosher. Yep. And they just, it's, you know, it's fine. We make an Italian soda, but they have all of these options and it's so exciting for them. But the key is that the soda isn't the bribe. It's the all going out together to get the Italian soda. We have right. flavored bubbly water here that they could enjoy. That's mm -hmm. not the drop. So it's kind of a fine line. You know, you have to know what works with your kids and then rotate treats so that nothing gets, nothing gets too old. And of course, I'm not advising bribery all the time. You know, it's one of those things where, where we, you know, you say I would never bribe my kids and then there's reality. <laughs> Well, and it doesn't always even have to be related to food at all. Yeah. Um, that's one thing that I have learned about um, myself is that I think that I was raised and, or just as a personal practice, all these years have always had food as a reward. Yeah. If I do well, I get food. If I do badly and I'm feeling sad or depressed or anxious or anything, it's again, food. And I, and I found myself uh, doing that with my kids when they were younger and someone talked to me about it. Um, someone who I had invited into my life to talk with me accountability with food. And she just said, be careful that you don't also put that on your kids. Cause that can create a pattern for them as well. And yeah. so we do often, just, you said, you know, like have an experience or special something. Um, but sometimes that special something is just special time. Like we're going to go yeah. to a park sure. um, and it's just going to be you and me, or we're going to go for a drive. And maybe on that drive, we'll go ahead and get like a hot chocolate from Starbucks or something like that. But usually it's just more the time. And we focus on that you know, the relationship building aspect rather than like the reward of being food. Yeah. That, and that's a much healthier way to be. I mean, sometimes, sometimes food is going to be the only thing that, that you have at your hand and you've got two hours of sleep under your belt. And, and so that's fine. But even with potty training, a lot of people do M&Ms, you know what, sometimes do M&Ms, but sometimes do stickers and sometimes yeah. do a Hot Wheels car or something mm -hmm. or a coloring book, you know, change it up because, because you're right by, by offering food as a reward or as a punishment, using it as a punishment, um, like no dessert because of behavior. It, it doesn't create a healthy relationship with food. Mm -hmm. If you're serving dessert, everyone gets dessert. That's yeah. it. Oh, potty training was a unique one for us because we found out in that process that we were doing the M&Ms and also we had, uh, collected all of our Halloween candy and we, you know, kind of were rashing it out very slowly over the course of like a month or two. And then, um, that moved into Valentine's day. So then we got the Valentine's treats and we're using these. We found out that our, our kid was extremely sensitive to food dye. And I was giving my kid food dye every single day for like months. And we couldn't figure out why, why was she the kid that was running <laughs> like a banshee through the Montessori preschool and all the other kids are sitting, you know, politely and, you know, respectfully at their tables. Uh, yeah. So that was, um, I think when I start to hear people talking about, you know, what is going on with my kid? Why are they so angry? And they're just three and they're just started party training. And I'm like, are you doing food diet treats? Because that was a thing for us. It's not for everybody, but right. there is a subset of children who are going to be very sensitive to that. Yeah. And that's, that's a really good point. It's also very difficult to identify behavioral triggers. 
in, with food. They definitely exist, but it's difficult to identify because when you make a change in a child's diet, you're looking for a result. And looking for a result means paying more attention to that child. And so the change in behavior is sometimes the food and is sometimes the change in attention. And maybe it's sometimes, you know, if it was the beginning of the pandemic and all of a sudden we're home, maybe it's also something having to do with that. So right. it can be really tricky. And what I find is that sometimes parents take that, like, we, we like to do everything to the, to the best of our ability possible, right? So why don't we eliminate all of the stuff, all of it, just eliminate all of it. It's not good for kids to do that. You know, when you're experimenting with a child's diet, it has to be done in a very delicate way to avoid any negativity associated with that. And the truth is that now you know that that particular child is sensitive to food dye, and sometimes it's going to be worth it to give that child something that's got food dye in it. You're just going to know to expect the result. Yep. And that's good to have too. You know, sometimes yep. you're going to be at a birthday party yep. and everyone's going to have a piece of cake. So either you're going to come prepared with a piece of cake that has no food dye, or mm -hmm. you're going to just let your kid have cake with the rest of the kids and just know that you should plan the rest of your day around whatever the consequence will be. In our case, the next three or four days. <laughs> and so oh. we would have to make that decision based on if, if it's a Friday and they have big testing on Monday we might have to say, we're going to have to find an alternative. If it's yeah. a Friday and it's, you know, summer break, we might be able to weather that storm. Right. Right. I mean, since we keep kosher, we always bring our own food to birthday mm -hmm. parties. So my kids are used to that. That's just part of it. You know, that's, that's part of, of our religious observance and they're used to that. I'll call ahead and find out what's being served and bring the closest approximation they can do. That's okay yeah. for families. It's important for kids to feel like they belong and so bringing the same food that's being served, but a version that's safer for your child is, yep. it'll work more towards helping your child feel part of the crowd, which is so important at that age, while also minding with, you know, what their medical needs are. We were doing that, uh, something like that when we were at um, our original, we were in an original, uh, I want to say public charter school. Uh, and it was birthday snacks all the time. And a lot of them were things that really my kids shouldn't have had. And so the teacher would, you know, call me or text me or email me and say, hey, we're having donuts today. Do you want to bring an alternative? And I was like, yes. And at some point I just had like a whole pack of cupcakes that weren't going to expire for like two weeks or something that she could just pull out one if she needed for um, a couple of days. But um, that was a little tricky because we didn't want her to feel left out, but we didn't want her. She was not, you know, we didn't know some of the the tips and tricks that we don't now. And so uh, the threshold for that was pretty small, I guess. Um, when we moved to our second public charter school, they didn't allow treats in the classroom. Uh, there were no sugar treats, even in, in lunches, they weren't supposed to have sugar as a main ingredient in anything. And so people got a little interesting, uh, got creative. Uh, so if they were celebrating a birthday, the birthday kid might bring in snap or slap bracelets or, you know, fun pencils with cool erasers or something that, um, you know, the non-food things that exist yeah. uh, for party favors um, or, you know, we just celebrate with a song and it didn't have to always be centered around food, which was so wonderful. Um, we are actually leaving that school and starting uh, going back to a public school and everything is free game at this, at this new school. But I feel like my kids know enough now and are old enough and they understand some of their actions that they are able to advocate for themselves yeah. and uh you know we can come prepared and I feel like that the three or four years of relief that I had from that experience I think is giving me enough uh, bandwidth to be able to be ready to 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 have those alternatives ready or you know if the kids will know what to ask or what to say sometimes when when they need to if there's like a surprise in the classroom right but yeah Okay, going back to working from home, what tools are you using that make working from home easier for you? Like when you're when you're writing, what are you writing into? Or when you're communicating, are you using Zoom? I think I already asked you that. I like to use Zoom when I'm on one-on-one um, -on -one with a client. But when I'm writing, I, I'm really enjoying Google Docs. I think mm -hmm. it's amazing. I do a lot of collaborating with other dietitians and other um, allied professionals. And I just love how we can all be in the same document at the same time. Yep. And yep. You know, my, my co-author for Beyond a Bite, Hannah, we've only met actually in real life twice, 
which is crazy because we we talk on the phone all the time and we're in, in you know collaborating together so I I really like that I'm also very paranoid about losing my content on my computer yep. so I put everything in my Google Drive and yep. and I find that it's so convenient I can access it from anywhere if I need to access something from the hospital I can and so I use that a lot I just have my laptop I'm I'm pretty bare bones with this. I mean, yeah. you know, we've been we've been chatting over the past few days about the the microphones, and I just got my new fancy microphone. I, um, I mean, you weren't the first to suggest it, but you definitely were the straw that broke the camel's back on that. <laughs> we had a fun conversation yesterday because she sent me a picture holding the new microphone, um, but she said she did a test recording and she couldn't hear. Um, and so we, she didn't know why couldn't, why didn't the sound go through? Cause it looked as though the microphone was working. So I was like, Hey, do you mind if I video call you? And I just, uh, went through, I think we use Facebook messenger and just yeah. turned the camera around and I'm just looking at her settings with her. And all she had to do is unplug the microphone. Right. right. And then whatever settings were readjusting, uh, made it so that the, we did find out that the sound works just fine. Yeah. But it was great. Like we have that. It's nice that people have that. You know, like there's um there's this this account I follow on Instagram called Proportional Plate and Candace Walker. She's she's a chef. She's amazing. Her stuff is beautiful. But I tried to do one of her recipes and it wasn't working. And I messaged her and I was like, I can't get this to work. What is wrong with me? And she, she went. She hopped on a Zoom with me and my little guy and troubleshooted the recipe with me. And this is someone I didn't know personally. And that was her idea to just be like, Hey, let's just get on a call. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Um, it's always a good idea to ask permission first, especially if you're going to do like a video call. Cause I have had people just to answer a question, just send me a video, like invite, uh, in this like ringing. And I'm like, um, I am not wearing an appropriate top for <laughs> this conversation <laughs> and, um, give me a minute, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I do like the technology sometimes can feel a little invasive if people use it a little bit you know, without that, you know, is it all right if I give you a call? But I, I'm glad it worked out yesterday. That was really fun. Yeah. Um, and she was we were talking a little bit about, I think, uh, the shock mount and yes. um, the tripod and how do they connect and, you know, do they connect? Can they connect? Does it, we actually put the shock mount on the microphone and then put on the tripod and realize that it's not actually shock mounting because it's still connected to the bottom of the microphone. It was just like decoration. So I put it in the coffee cup and it worked for yesterday. And now yeah. I have a stand coming tonight. <laughs> By 10 o'clock. Amazon is amazing. When I was starting to do a video, um, I was trying to use my Canon camera to do like with Ecamm and like a higher quality camera than this little Logitech that I use now. Um, but I was like overnighting, you know, cords and connections and dangle, dang, dangles and dongles and, you know, whatever, <laughs> who's that's and was it's, um, but yeah, Amazon has been my friend through the pandemic as far as getting equipment. Yeah. Um, so you podcast, you want to talk yes. about that? Yeah. So I started Naptime Nutrition when, um, I think the boys were about a year old and I have, I think about 175 videos on my YouTube channel now, which is called Naptime Nutrition. And some of those have gone podcast and ho hopefully more of them. Um, it's, it takes a long time to edit them, but we were talking about ways I can maybe outsource that. But yeah, the, the Naptime Nutrition podcast is coming along nicely. And I just cover all things parenting and nutrition and some things that are kind of loosely associated. Like, like a few weeks ago, I did a segment on what to do if your child is being bullied. And it was specifically on what to do if your child's being bullied about their weight, but it's the same if they're being bullied about something else. Mm -hmm. So I interviewed a child therapist for that, and hopefully that's going to be my next podcast coming out, but the video is available on YouTube mm -hmm. now. Uh, do you usually do an uh, interview format like this, or are you usually doing a solo episode? It's been more interview than solo. Sometimes it's solo. It depends on the topic and if I can cover it effectively. I didn't feel like I could cover that topic effectively because that was much more in the therapy side of things. And I'm not a therapist. So it's mm -hmm. good to have that extra voice on. And I think it also makes it more entertaining for the listener to, to hear different perspectives. Yeah. A lot of times, especially with childhood nutrition and with parenting, there's a lot of overlap between nutrition and therapy. And so I've had a number of therapists on just to talk about 
different angles. And so I can address it from the nutrition angle and they can address it from the mental health, social health angle. And I think that gives us a more comprehensive product. (laughs) How do you find your network? Are there people that you already know or are you reaching out to people? You know, a lot of people I've met online um, just through through um, social networking in professional circles. And that's worked out really well. I, I can't say that most of my guests I've met in person, but they've just impressed me with their content online. And we talk a while before, um, you know, we interact for a while. And if a subject comes up and I think that they are the expert to get me where I want to be and, and get the message to the audience that needs to be gotten there, um, then, <laughs> then I'll invite them on. And it's worked out really well. I uh, did kind of a shot in the dark the other day into uh, the local Facebook group. Um, the group that I'm in actually has mostly local moms, but most some of them have moved on um, and just have stayed in the group. But I was like, does anyone have it in their bucket list to be in a podcast? I just am looking for a few people who specifically work, you know, for organization or um you know, you're obviously kind of doing both. You're working in the hospital and you've got like um, that and you've also got your home business. Mm-hmm. Is this all you or are you working in a community of people collaborating? Um, you said that you do a co-authoring with some of your books. Yeah, I, I do a lot of co-authoring. I really do like writing in a tandem fashion. So I have a WhatsApp group that is a lot of other professionals and I collaborate with them a lot. I honestly, I just, I just roll with it. I just, it's funny. My, my father is, um, he raised me to be a, an entrepreneur and he raised me with these ideas of how to run a business. And I just find that not having a plan works and not like, I bet people fairly minimally before they come on. I mean, cause I'm interacting with them and I'm seeing the content they put out, but I, I just, I'm taking this very loose approach with my business, just, you know, try this and try that. And I'm glad that I have the freedom. I understand that there, that there are privileges that allow me to do that, but I find that that's really what's shaped my business in the best way, rather than having some kind of set idea on what I want it to look like. I just try to keep my mind open and keep myself open to all these possibilities and collaborations and it's, it's working well for me. So I'm just going to keep doing that. For people who are thinking about trying to build a network, especially entrepreneurs who, you know, if you're working online and you don't, you know, have maybe a community in person, podcasting is actually a really cool way to get to know some people. There's usually a little bit of chat before we get started. Then we've got this whole, you know, some people do a 15 minute, I do an hour uh, interview. And then usually there's a little bit of chit chat, you know, wrapping things up, talking about if there's any edits that we need to make anything like that afterward. And I, you know, sometimes that's a, you know, very brief conversation, just five minutes before, five minutes after. Sometimes it's a half hour or an hour. And I really feel like this has been a really nice way to vet the people that I might want to work with in the future. Um, so thank you for being willing to just come. We didn't know each other and <laughs> come on in. Um, do you have any local people that you you meet with regularly in your profession or is it usually just all online? You know, it's it's funny. There are people I meet with locally, but it's just as convenient as meeting with people who are elsewhere because we haven't been social. Like I haven't been outwardly social. So yeah, I do have I do have a friend who I meet with regularly for business ideas and accountability and all of that. And she's local, but we've been meeting on Zoom anyway. So right, yeah. Sometimes it's just yeah. more convenient, especially with little ones yeah. and at home. Um, well, what about, uh, your social life then outside of your professional life? Do you feel like you are able to maintain that when you're working from home? Not just during the pandemic, but like all the time. Sorry, my what? (laughs) Your social life. (laughs) Your what? Yeah. I I find that I gravitate toward people that I kind of end up collaborating with. So a lot of my relationships are a little bit mixed For the past year, I've been homeschooling with a friend of mine, and thank God she was an actual teacher before leaving to have a family. Mm -hmm. And so, so we mixed our friendship that way that she became my child's, my my kid's teacher. Mm -hmm. um, But I've pitched a book idea to my publisher, and she'll be my (laughs) co-author. It just it just happens for me that way that people I surround myself with happen to be people who we also have this in common and we can build on each other's experiences or even on each other's businesses. So my relationships are just a little bit fluid like that. 
How did that work with your kiddos? Did good friends. Yeah. Yes, of course. When you were uh, doing the shared homeschooling experience, were your kids going to this person's home? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she had um, her kids and my kids, and I was there as the assistant teacher for half the day, and then I'd leave and go work at home for the other half. Wow. How many kids was that in total then? It was six. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it worked out well, but her youngest was um, eight months when we started. So it's a challenging age while trying to teach other groups. Mm -hmm. It wasn't perfect, but it was as close to perfect as we could have possibly gotten. And I have no regrets. You're the second person that I've interviewed who has talked about having a similar situation with the, the mom who was working more hours from home would basically shuttle the kids over to the other person's home who turn into like their full-time teacher or more like a prox a proxy uh, because some of them are doing online teaching but I think going forward they might just straight up homeschool yeah because it worked really well <laughs> cut out the middleman <laughs> yeah we're not going to continue with homeschooling <laughs> yeah <laughs> we aren't either no I mean more power to people who make that decision that's great it's not the right decision for my family yeah yeah um, how many hours are you typically working from home right now in the past year versus before versus what are you planning on in the future? Yes, that it's was a like good three idea questions. It was like <laughs> triple. Yeah, it's yeah, good. That, that would be a good idea to track time. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really um, know the answer to that question. Like I, I just, I write in the cracks. It's not the most efficient and I don't mm-hmm. know how much time I dedicate to each project which can be a problem when taxes come around and you're trying to write off different things for different projects. Right. I would like to get better at that, but right now that's not where I am. <laughs> and I just, you I'm know just what? Crazy. I'm with you. So Yafi, tell me a little bit about, uh, do you have people who are like, Oh, I wish I could work at home. Like you, do you give advice to people who are, are wanting to join you in this lifestyle? Or do you have advice for people who are interested in trying to, to make it work long-term now that the pandemic is changing people's work situations? Yeah, um, I think it really depends on what people's needs are and what their goals are. You know, for example, I would love to have one of those she sheds. I'm kind of obsessed with this idea, but but it's going to take $15,000 to build me my own office in the backyard. That's not something that's that's possible right now. So you got to start small. You know, if, if you're transitioning from a more traditional life, maybe you want to make that a a slow transition. You know, like for instance, if someone's working at the hospital and wants to start a private practice, take on a couple of clients and see how it feels and see how much you like it. You know, a lot of times we're going to, you're going to be making that shift away from a job that is giving you benefits that, that are good. So make sure you do all of your research and Mm -hmm. know what you're getting into, you know, what your costs are. And make the transition as slowly as you need to, to maintain your own sanity and confidence. And then start off small. You know, if you don't need something big and fancy and expensive, then put it off a little bit. And if you need it, then, then get it. Yeah. You know? um, ask, for, ask for advice. If you need to find something cheaper, go on Facebook and ask what other people have done. That's a great yep great use of Facebook. Yes. Yes. Uh, we actually didn't have any laptop at all when I started uh, teaching English as a second language. And because I was, I was just kind of doing it on the fly. I, I ended up asking my network, uh, does anyone have an extra laptop that I could borrow for a month or so, or even just a week, just so I could do the interview. And then I would pull it together and, you know, get one. I ended up borrowing the laptop from a lady for four months. Wow. And then that gave me enough time to buy the computer I wanted, not just like the cheapest one on the market. Yeah. So that's really good advice. Thank you. Yeah. I've, I've just found it's amazing when, you know, like, like we're, are you in that group? She podcasts? No, but it sounds like the one I should be in. Oh, I just assumed you were in that. No, you should no. be in that one. Yeah. There's a group she podcasts and they have so many members and so many posts, you could just search for anything. I mean, if you want equipment, what everyone's experience is with different equipment, it can get a little overwhelming just because everyone has something to say and everyone's so willing to contribute to the conversation. Uh, when you decided on your um, your microphone that you bought last week or that you ordered last week, how did you make that decision? Because I think I had recommended too that people have... Uh, yeah. I, I told you about the one that I have. I told you about one I've heard about. And then I told you about one that Matthew Stubblefield is my friend who does a lot of research. Did you got the one that I think Matthew Stubblefield had? 
I don't remember which one. I, I got one of them that you sent me and I was mm-hmm. cross-referencing what you were saying with what I was finding in the group. And okay. at some point I was just like, I don't need anything that fancy. This is going to be fine. <laughs> the decision has been made. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you just don't need to put that much thought into something, mm-hmm. you know, I've been working with my AirPods for a while and, and you said, I'll have a big, you know, increase in quality with this microphone. And I, I believe you, I trust you. I'm not sure that there would be a huge difference if I had chosen a different microphone. That's probably, so I didn't want to put that. I wanted to put the appropriate amount of thought into it. We overthink everything, you know, we're programmed to overthink everything, especially as parents. So we need to choose to not overthink when we can choose to not overthink. Well, it's kind of nice having a friend, like, uh, I interviewed Matthew, uh, like, I think he was interview number four for me, um, months ago now. And he's the kind of person who enjoys the research process. And I do to some extent, but at some point, if Matthew has already researched that, I'm just going to go with his recommendation because he probably put weeks into that. And I only want to put like one minute into that decision. Right. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, the price point of course is going to be a factor, but yeah. All right. Any last thoughts before we wrap up today? Be kind to yourself and be kind to your neighbors we, um, we really need a little more kindness in the world. And I think if, uh, if we all start with our families and our friends, then it can just spread from there and we can all benefit. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Yafi. This has been a fun conversation and I hope that we can maybe continue this conversation another time. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me, April. All right. Well, this has been April Malone with Yafi Lavova, and we'll see you next time. Bye.